0: i'm jim brown your bible teacher at grace and truth ministries i've been teaching on god creates evil and that offends a lot of people because they say that makes god a sinner no it does not sin is the transgression of the law and the law was was made because of man's transgression this is the way here's the law Here's man. He's under the law. Here's God up here. He's above the law. God can kill whoever He wants to. He said, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. And He killed people all through the Old Testament. We've gone through a lot of that. He killed 70,000 in in Second Samuel the 24th chapter simply because David numbered Israel and was proud of how many people he had over a million five hundred thousand soldiers and God says that's not what saved you it was a time you had four hundred and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul who's trying to kill you and he had thousands chasing you and I want to ask people this who who came up with the idea of a law. Who did that? It wasn't Satan. It was God. Where did the law start? Over here in Genesis, the third chapter, Thou shalt not, it's God's words, Thou shalt not eat of the tree. But wasn't our names written in the book of life before the foundation of the world? Wasn't Jesus the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world? If He was, what was He slain for? For man's sin that He was get into. I've gone through this dozens and dozens of times. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning God created. That's a righteous word. Barah. It means to cut and make fat. Fat was not this cellulite on the side of your bodies to the Jew. The fat of the cattle was the best. The fat of the land was the best sweet, the best crops. Well, that's righteous word, create. And then the earth became without form and void one, two became. If the earth was perfect when it was created, it had to become without form and void. That's a word that can be translated became. It became without form and void and darkness. I keep saying this. I'm saying this for a reason to show you that God created sin. Without form is the word tohu. T-O-H-U-W. It means empty, worthless, and then and then Isaiah forty five eighteen God says when I created the earth I created nothing in vain. He said, When I created the earth, I didn't create anything in vain, and the word in vain is the word Tohu. Same word H U W same word is without Form, God said, "I did not create without form." There is a time period between verse one and verse two of Genesis. Could have been millions of years. The reason we say that is because we know that the Earth, that the light travels at one hundred eighty-six thousand miles every second. That's how fast light travels. Oh, that's some kind of drag racing, isn't it? That is fast. So, some of the stars we see a star is a gaseous body. Gaseous body. Our sun is a star. Some of the stars you see at night, they are millions of light years away from us. What do you mean by light year? It's how far a light will travel in one year, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. That's a chemical physics fact. How do scientists measure that? You'll have to ask them. They measure things as as it's coming off of another star. It's the fastest moving thing. It can't travel faster than that or slower than that. Now, so... When the earth became without form, and boy, that was a result of Revelation, the 12th chapter, when Satan, Michael the archangel, cast Satan into the earth. How can you figure out when Satan was cast into the earth? You look for the first place the nature of Satan was brought to the Bible. It's brought to the Bible in the second chapter, of Genesis, so Satan corrupted everything, he corrupted the ground of the earth, he corrupted the sun he corrupted the sun, he corrupted the stars, the stars are not clean in his sight. The Bible says, the moon is not clean, so the dust that all this is made of is corrupt, then God picks up Adam. He does. It's not Adam yet. He picks up some dust, forms Adam of the dust of the ground. Form is the word yatsar. That is not the same word as create. Form means to mold. It's a potter's term. And then God breathed into Adam. His body, the breath of life. But He made Adam out of the corrupt dust to the ground. Adam had to sin. Why is God creating us before the foundation of the world in Him? And why is Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world if there's not going to be any sin? God had to see to it that there was sin, so He created Adam out of the dust. And then He said, Thou shalt not eat of that tree, but the day you do. He didn't say if you eat. He said you will eat. The day you eat, you will die, and I will redeem you from the foundation of the world. Now, that's the whole point of God creating sin. Adam was made out of corruption. The Bible will say over there in the book of James that don't say that God is tempted with evil. Tempti- temptation, I gave it to you earlier, parasmos, P-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. And that's the same word as try in, in 1 Peter uh, 3 and 12, Try. think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you because you're in corrupt dust. It's going to try you and you're going to sin and I'm going to redeem you out of it. I don't know why people had not gone any further further than in the beginning God created the heavens, the earth, and the earth without form and void. See, there wasn't six days of creation. There was a creation. It could have been millions of years ago. From Adam until Christ, that was the that was the 4,000-year period. And that's not a true 4,000-year because there were some people left out of the lineage. And it, when you look at the fifth chapter of Genesis, when it says that Adam had a son named Seth, Seth had a son named Enosh, Enos had a son. There could have been other sons in between those. I believe that's the righteous lineage of God. In that 5th chapter. Now. Huh. Now sin is something God made. Who made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Who made the tree of life? God made all of it. And why would He put something there for man to sin? Because he does everything according to the counsel of his own will because he wanted to. Boy, people, I've never heard anybody that even understood any of that. I didn't get it from somebody. I heard about what was called the gap theory. It's not near as much of a theory as six days of creation. Jerry Falwell, Jerry Jerry ignorant Falwell said, we as independent Baptists believe the earth is 6,000 years old. Jerry, you're ignorant, you're dead now. You can't spew out all those lies and error. Alright, now, I want us to go back where we were, over in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we're talking about David's life, I'm going to try to get through this as quick as I can, I'm going to finish up about David's life in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, where Nathan stands before David after David has committed murder. He kills Uriah the Hittite because he got Uriah's wife Bathsheba pregnant because he saw her on a housetop and he said, I want her. So David committed adultery and murder. Nathan stands before him and says to David in that 12th chapter of Second Samuel, he tells David, I'll get to it in a minute. He says, and I'm using this as a theme verse for David's life. In the 10th chapter, therefore the sword, this is Nathan the prophet talking to David, therefore the sword will never leave your house. And then he says in verse 11, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of your own house. Now we went through that. The next chapter talks about Amnon being uh, raping his uh, raping Amnon is David's firstborn, and he rapes his sister Tamar because she's beautiful. And then Absalom, his his thirdborn son, plots for two years and kills Amnon, murders him, and then he has to leave the country. And then he comes back and he tries to he chases David out of town, tries to take over his throne. And then David loved Absalom, and then he goes through all of this and. Something happens when David is, when David is uh, running out of Jerusalem, he goes north and he goes across the Jordan River. This is Israel. And here's the Jordan River right here. Jordan River, the source is the Sea of Galilee. And it runs down here into the Dead Sea. And it's a dead sea because it's full of salt and animals cannot live in it. And you can float in it just like you can in the Salt Lake out in Utah. And so David leaves Jerusalem and Absalom is chasing him with his army. And he comes and crosses the Jordan River and goes to the city of Mahanim, a city of refuge. And while he's about to cross the river, a man named Shimei starts cursing him, and he is a Benjamite, Benjamite, you can find this in the 16th chapter of 2 Kings, and uh, he's a Benjamite, and he's going over here chasing David, and Benjamin, Shimei, or Shimei, however you want to pronounce it. Shimei, I got it spelled wrong. S-H-I-M-E-I. He's throwing stones at David and cursing him because he says David stole his master's throne. His master was Saul. Saul was always trying to kill David all through 1 Samuel until Saul was killed in that thirty first chapter of first samuel and then he throws stones at him cursing him when david wins the war with his son against his son absalom joab kills joab is david's nephew and he kills absalom when he finds him hanging in a tree and then when david's coming back shimei Meets David says, "Praise the Lord! You you won. You're you're the great king." And he was saying the exact opposite. So David knows that he is a he's a con artist. He knows that's what Shimei is. And then David, we've already gone through it. David dies in that. Let's go back over to that. Uh, David dies when you get to 1 Kings. I'm not going to review everything else. These are the things that happen to David's life. Absalom tries to take over. And then in 1 Kings, David is getting close to death. He doesn't die until that second chapter of 1 Kings. But something happens to him. Adonijah, his fourth-born son... Adonijah tries to take over the kingdom like Absalom tried to take it over. He does the same thing that Absalom did. He gets him 50 men to run before a chariot and that was an announcement that this is the new king in the chariot. That's exactly what Absalom did over in the 15th chapter of 2 Samuel. He got men to run before a chariot. And that's what Adonijah did. And then Nathan the prophet, uh, Bathsheba goes to Nathan the prophet and says, You promised that Solomon would be king. So David, as sick as he is, he cannot cannot hardly do anything. He just is so sick laying in bed. and And he can't, do anything with his life so he tells him to bring Solomon to him bring Solomon to him and bring Zadok the high priest and Zadok anoints Solomon to be king and Adonijah presumes that he is king and they're shouting God save king Adonijah and then after David anoints Solomon then they start saying shouting at the top of their voice God save king Solomon and Adonijah hears it. Well, David, he goes to David and he goes to Adonijah. I'll get it in a minute. Adonijah goes to Solomon and says, please spare my life. He said, if you go home and behave yourself, I'll do that. But Adonijah does some ridiculous things. So David, not David, Solomon has him killed. And that was David's fourth-born son. How do you know that? In the third chapter of 2 Samuel, you'll see what the sons of David are. And you also got them listed over in in 1 Chronicles, the third chapter. So there's one man left. God has Joab killed because Joab is David's nephew. He's the head of David's army. But Joab, he's a murderer. He killed four men. He murdered Uriah the Hittite, which David was, was complicit in that. He murdered Abner, a righteous man. He murdered Amasa, a righteous man. And he was always killing somebody. So Solomon has Joab. That's Solomon's first cousin he has him killed remember joab goes and grabs hold of the horns of the altar Uh, the altar was in uh, let me go ahead according to the jews according to the jews if you grabbed hold of the horns of the altar your life would be spared see if i can find that altar your life will be spared unless you are a murderer. So Solomon appoints him another head of his army. His name is Benaiah. And let me see if I can find that. I'll get it, man. All right. Here's the altar. Right here. See these horns? If you went up and grabbed hold of those horns of the altar, you it was sanctuary. You were safe. It's kind of like playing hide and seek. I'm safe, you know. Well, you were safe unless you were a murderer. Joab was a murderer. He had killed people unnecessarily. Because of his jealousy and his rage. So Benai goes to him. And tells him to get away from the altar. And he said no I'm, you'll have to kill me here. Benai goes back to Solomon. And says, He says I'll have to kill him at the altar. He, Solomon said do it. And Joab says you'll have to kill me. He said that will not be any problem. I'll do it right now. And Benai killed Joab. The killer that we've talked about so much. Uh, one of the most important characters in biblical history. Then, all of David's enemies are dead except Shimei, that guy that cursed David. So, let me give you what happens to him. And it's amazing how God does these people. Now, uh, look at First kings, the first chapter, I'll just kind of read this about Adonijah again and uh, Adonijah, verse fifty, Adonijah feared because Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the arms of the altar. Now Solomon and Adonijah were brothers. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of his have him fall to the earth, but if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. And King Solomon went and brought him down from the altar and he bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your house. Well, Adonijah wants unlawfully the handmaid of David, uh, Abishag she was a beautiful woman they had brought her to David perhaps warm his body as he gets older and it didn't do any good he was dying and David dies in verse 10 of this chapter and so there's one other person that had sided with that had sided with Adonijah that was Abiathar the high priest this is the high priest that was saved when King Saul slaughtered 85 of the high priests of God. That was over in that 22nd chapter, 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel. So Solomon thrust out verse 27. Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest. This is the second chapter from being priest unto the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh then tidings came to jo- to Joab for Joab turned after Adonijah that he turned not after Absalom <coughs> and Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar And that's when Beniah this guy's tougher nails Beniah is the new commander of Solomon's armies he goes and says I'm going to have to, he said you'll have to kill me here he said I'll do that that will not be any problem and he kills him and then we get on down here to verse 35 this is the second chapter and the king put Beniah the son of Jehoiada in his room over the host and Zadok the priest did the the king put in the room of Abiathar. So we're doing away with Abiathar. You have no place as a high priest any longer because you you defected with Adonijah. You're against me, Abiathar. And the king sent and called for Shimei, David's last enemy. It's Solomon that had Joab killed, Adonijah killed, and he disbarred, Abiathar from being a high priest but Shimei is the only one of David's enemies left God left them all for Solomon to deal with and the king sent and called Shimei and said unto him build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there stay there this is this guy who was cursing David there in 2 Samuel throwing stones at him And Abishai, David's other nephew, who went everywhere with David that he went. Abishai said, Uncle David, I'll go kill that dog. And God said, shut your mouth, Abishai. God hath bidden him to throw stones because of what I did and my sin. Now this is the same Shimei. Build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. For it shall be that on the day that you go out of your house and you pass over the brook Kidron, that's just east on the east side of Jerusalem, if you pass over the brook Kidron, he's in prison. God made Jerusalem a prison through Solomon. He made it Shimei in a in a. It's like a prison. Thou shalt now know for certain that thou shalt surely die. If you leave Jerusalem, you're locked in Jerusalem the rest of your life. Thou shalt be upon thine own head. To be upon someone's head meant to be, to pronounce final judgment on them. Sheme said unto the king, King Solomon, the saying is good. As my lord the king said, so will thy servant do. And Sheme remember the original curse, I will, I will form evil against you and your house, David, and your family. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. And it came to pass at the end of three years, that two of the servants of Shimei ran away unto Achish the son of Maacah, king of Gath Gath is is a city of the Philistines that's what we call the Gaza Strip he's up here in Jerusalem right here and he runs over here to Gath which is a city right on the top of the land of the Philistines. That's what we call the Gaza Strip. So he runs over here, and he does what Solomon told him not to do. And they told Shimei, saying, Behold, thy servants are in Gath, the two that ran away. And Shimei arose and saddled his ass. They put a blanket on their their donkey and went to Gath to Achish remember Achish he was the king of Gath and he's the one that gave David the city of Ziklag over there in the land of the Philistines to seek his servants and Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath and it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come again wrong thing to do and the king sent and called for Sheme and said unto him, Did I not make thee to swear by the Lord and the protest protested unto thee, saying, No for a certain on the day thou goest out and walkest abroad any whither that thou shalt surely die, and thou saidest unto me the word that I have said is a good word? Why then hast thou not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with. And the king said, Moreover, Shimei, thou knowest all the wickedness which thine heart is privy to, that thou didst to David, my father. Therefore the Lord will return thy wickedness upon thine own head. And King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And the king commanded Beniah this super powerful man, the son of Jehoiada, which went out and fell upon Shimei, and Shimei died. The last of David's enemies are dead. It's over. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Solomon got rid of all of David's headaches. We never know what happened to Abishai. No, there's no... Word on what happened to him. He's, he was just honoring. He, he was David's nephew, but he was honoring. Now, I've got a paper here. I've given it to you, and I don't know why I expected everybody to read it. It's got, it's the title of it is, I Shall Not Pity. The title is actually, Does God Create Evil? And I've got about 30 times where God says, I won't pity when I crush Jerusalem, when I crush northern Israel. He said, I won't have any pity. And what I did, I went through the Old Testament. I took all these words, evil, how God creates evil, how He brings evil upon men's lives, and maybe this will really convict your heart. Here in Deuteronomy 28, 15, starts in 15. God tells you the evil that He's going to bring. He says, if you're obedient, I'm not going to talk about obedience. That He says that in the beginning of the 28th chapter. said, I've got all these statutes and commandments. If you obey them, you'll be blessed in the field and the city. And you'll be blessed on every area of your life and you'll have your basket and your store be full and you'll go against your enemy. One way, there'll be seven ways and you'll have healthy children. They won't be stillborn. But if you're not obedient, in the 15th verse, it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, I'll bring all these evil upon you. To observe and do all His commandments and statutes, you'll be cursed in the city. Verse 16, Cursed in your field. Cursed your basket and your storehouses will be cursed. There won't be enough to eat. Cursed will be the fruit of thy body. Your babies will be stillborn or die. They'll be born dead. And the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, the flocks you receive will be cursed. And I love then God will curse you where you go out and where you come in. And in verse 20, the Lord shall send. People say God don't create evil. He doesn't have to say I create evil, but He says that about a hundred times. I've got it about a hundred times in this paper. I don't know why I expected you all to read it. It's very extensive. You're welcome to the free copy of it. But He says the Lord shall send it'll come from God cursing, vexation, rebuke this is verse 20 of chapter 28 and all that thou settest thine hand to do until thou be destroyed until thou perish quickly God's going to see that they die of course he said I kill I make alive I wound I heal because of the wickedness of thy doings that's why he's going to bring evil upon them Whereby thou hast forsaken me, the Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee. That'll kill you until he had consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. Then he says in verse 22, The Lord shall smite thee with consumption. We don't know exactly what that was. It was probably something like tuberculosis or something like that. And with a fever... Every sickness has a fever to it. Every, every disease you have, if it's bronchial asthma like I've had, there's an inflammation connected with it. And he says with a fever and inflammation. When you have a heart attack like I've had two of them, it's the inflammation in your arteries and that's the cholesterol buildup. And with extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting, that's heavy hard winds that dries up everything. With mildew, too much rain that kills your crops. I've got flowers in the house and if you water them too much, they die. Just as easy if you don't water them enough. Mildew sets in. And they shall pursue thee until they perish. And the heaven that is over thy head shall be brass. There'll be no rain. Who is it that causes the rain? God. And the earth that is under thee will be iron. I've given the illustration. My grandfather had a farm out in West Texas. When they had a drought out there, that the sun would harden those ruts back in the late 40s so hard it was like iron. And you could stomp on them; it wouldn't break. You won't be able to grow nothing with that kind of ground. That's famine, isn't it? And the Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust from heaven shall come down upon thee until you're destroyed. And I'm the one that's going to do this evil. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. The exact opposite. If you obey me, you'll go against them one way. They'll flee seven ways and shall be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth by the beast. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Now, let me go to the next verses. 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth. That will be Assyria to carry northern Israel away. That will be Babylon to carry southern Judah away. And notice, notice, this is in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. They haven't even got into the land yet. God's telling them what he's going to do to them before they get in the land, before they break his laws, before they start worshiping Baal in the grove and Shemash and Molech and all those gods they went after. And look down here in 53. Let's read a little bit of this. And thou shalt eat the flesh of thine own body. You're going to be starving so bad When I make a siege against you, an army comes against you and they cut off all supply lines around the city and you die of starvation and you start eating your children and you start eating one another. You say, I wouldn't do that. How do you know what you'd do if you hadn't eaten for six weeks? When... God calls Syria or the Assyrians up against one of the cities of Judah or Israel. And they sit there. They'll sit there for a month or six or eight weeks until the people start falling like flies and dying from starvation. And that's when they start eating their own children. Thou shalt eat the fruit of thy own body, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters. It means exactly what it says. This is not a spiritual application. They're going to eat their children. Which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege. A siege. A siege was a city under... That was being blockaded on every side, no food, no water coming in, and that was a siege until you you start dying and you start eating one another. The Donner Party did that in the 1800s out in Utah. That plane that crashed down in the Andes in South America, a soccer team, they started eating each other. It was so cold on the mountaintop, and the bodies were freezing. They said, we need to eat the bodies of our our mates here so we don't die. That's what Israel did. One lady came years ago. She said, I never heard that Israel ate their children. Most people hadn't heard of it. That's because they don't read the Old Testament. In the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, I'll cause it, God says, when you're disobedient to me verse 54 so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave so that he will not give any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat he's going to eat his own children this does this is not just mentioned one time this is mentioned over and over and over again all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament. Because he has nothing left him in the siege in the straitness wherewith that thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates. The tender and delicate woman among you which would not adventure to set the side, the sole of her feet upon the ground of delicateness and tenderness, her eyes shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that come out, cometh out from between her feet, the one that's born of her. And they're going to eat their babies. That's when they disobeyed God. And toward her children, which she shall bear, for she shall eat them for one of all things secretly in the siege. You think God doesn't mind that America doesn't obey Him? We're headed for the same thing in America. America's, the preacher's not telling the truth. And straightness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in the gates. Now, what i'm doing i'm just going through a lot of these things that i'm talking about in the paper now let's go over here to first samuel 16 14 now this is where this is where david has been anointed king people say God wouldn't do evil yes he will he's not under the law he can kill anybody he wants to kill and he's still righteous in that in the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th chapters of of First Samuel Saul is rebellious against God and will not do the will of God I could go into the stories but I don't have time So the Lord tells Samuel the prophet, "You go down to Bethlehem, Judah. I've chosen me a king among the sons of Jesse." He gets down there. Seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and then the Lord says, "It's none of these." And David says, uh, "David." Samuel says, "Are any more sons?" And Jesse said, "There remaineth yet the youngest, and he keeps the sheep. He's a shepherd." And Samuel says, Bring him here. I won't leave until he comes in my presence. And when David walks in, he's the youngest, he's the eighth son of Jesse. And God says, That's him. Anoint him. So when David's anointed, Saul, who's been king, he's king in the people's eyes. But David is now the new king in God's eyes. So you got two kings a people's king throughout the land and david god's king saul gets real jealous because he hears about david being anointed king and look here in 14 but the spirit of the lord departed from saul and an evil spirit from the lord troubled saul This evil spirit is from God. You think God don't create evil? He created this evil spirit. You know what I believe the evil spirit was? Pride. Self. Then let's read on. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God, from God, troubleth thee. Verse 16. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player and an harp and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and you'll be well then. So guess who's he gets? David to come and play the harp. And Saul is afraid of David because he sees in verse 22 that David found favor in my sight. In verse 23, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God, notice, evil spirit came from God, was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the evil spirit departed from Saul. Now, I'm just giving you some of the times this is mentioned. Now, the 17th chapter, David goes out, takes some food to his brothers who are in the battle with the Philistines. And there's a giant roaring, walking up and down, saying, send your best man out here. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would challenge the armies of the God of Israel? So David says, I'll go fight him. Now, David is a shepherd boy, but he's not a skinny, scrawny little guy. He's just too young to be in Saul's army. You had to be 20 years old to be in the king's army in Israel back then. He was probably about 17, very wiry. And he was deadly with his sling. All those shepherd boys, the Bible says, could get a hair, get a hair's breadth, at, at at a distance of fifty, sixty yards. They could, they were dead center. David said, "This is a lumbering giant. I'll go out and fight him." So I put the armor on him. He said, I, "I haven't proven this armor. Get the armor off. I got this rod. I got this sling." I can get him and stop him. So he goes out against him. Saul says, Who have you sent against me? I'm going to feed him to the fowls of the air. David said, I come to you in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of God of Israel. I come to you in that name. And David ran. He went over to a stream, picked up five smooth stones. Five is the number of grace from one end of the Bible to the other. And he goes out and he runs as fast as he can towards Goliath. He doesn't kind of sneak up on him. He runs as hard as he can, takes one stone, slings it, hits Goliath right here between the eyes. It knocks him out. It doesn't kill him. David runs up to Goliath, pulls Goliath's sword out, cuts his head off. That'll kill you every time. (laughs) Killed him. Well, then David... Abner, who is Saul's commanding general, comes and gets David, takes him to introduce him to Saul. He introduced him to Saul, and Saul says, oh, this is the guy who killed Goliath. Oh, that's great. I think I know him. I think he played a harp for me. And as David is coming into town, the women are singing. Saul hath killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and Saul gets livid. Just says, I don't like this. So in verse 10, chapter 18, verse 10, and it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand, a spear. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. He kept throwing javelins at David. Now... Let's go on over here to Second Samuel 12, 11. I'm going to insert this. Thus said the 12, 10, 11, the sword will never leave your house, and I'll raise up, I will, notice in verse 11, chapter 12, I will raise up evil against you and your own house. God says, I will do that. Now, let's go on over here. 2 Samuel 24 2 Samuel 24 is where David numbers Israel he takes credit for for all of the battles that he's won and he's ruling Israel and everyone around him right now so God sends the prophet and tells him David you're proud you've numbered Israel God gives you a choice of three things. You can either flee before your enemies for three months. You can have seven years of famine or three days pestilence. David said, I am a straight. I don't know which to pick. I guess he didn't. So he said, I will turn myself over to the hand of God. The three days pestilence. So the death angel of God comes upon Jerusalem. Verse 16. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, he was going to kill everybody in it. This is the evil that God does. The Lord repented him of the evil. Repent means to turn. God turned from the evil and said to the death angel that destroyed the people, that's enough, I've killed 70,000. That's enough. David calls these 70,000 in First Chronicles, he calls them innocent people that God killed simply because of his sin of numbering the people and taking credit for with numbers, he had, he had actually named all of his powerful men in the chapter before this, in the 23rd chapter, Second Samuel, his mighty men. God said, it's not your mighty men that conquered the the Philistines. It's me. It was a time that David only had 400, and Saul had thousands that he was chasing him with. It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aaron the Jebusite. God says, I have done enough evil now. Let's go to another verse. You think God creates evil? Let me ask you this. Do you think God will create evil in your life for being disobedient to him? That's the frightening part. I can't begin to tell you how much evil he brought to my life to break me, to cause me to be willing to preach what I'm preaching today. It was a time I wasn't willing when I was trying to be somebody and get ahead in the music world and become a real estate mogul. Now, First Kings 17 and verse 20. Elijah has just gone before Ahab and told him, he said, there's going to be three and a half years of Pestilence of of no rain. And that's because in the sixteenth chapter, Ahab marries Jezebel and brings her gods into Israel in that sixteenth chapter and builds and builds temples for Baal in the grove in the sixteenth chapter. And so in this in this seventeenth chapter, he's going and hiding in a cave. By by a brook, Kereth, and then the ravens come to feed David. Now, raven is an unclean bird, but there was a title for some of the Arabs who were called ravens. So it was probably some Arabs named ravens that came and fed Elijah. Here in verse 20, and this woman that he comes in contact with. Let's read 17, 18, 19, and 20. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore, and there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and slay my son? And Elijah said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And God had Elijah raise the boy from the dead. That's the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. Now, let's go over here to First Kings 21 and verse 21. God is confronting. He is using Elijah to confront Ahab. And he tells Ahab, you're going to die. God's going to see to it. Here in verse 20. Of chapter 21. All I'm doing is showing you. Does God create evil? It's all over the Old Testament. People say. Benny Hinn said. I challenge anyone to show me. In the Bible. where well, God will make anybody sick. How about Micah 6.13. Therefore will I make thee sick. In smiting thee Israel. Because of thy sins. God will not only make you sick. He'll kill you. And that's a permanent sickness. Isn't it? Now, here in 1 Kings 21, Elijah is confronting Ahab. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? He calls Elijah's enemy. Verse 20, And he answered, I have found thee, Ahab. Ahab have done that several times before. Because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee. Elijah speaking for God. He's, the prophet was God's mouth. It meant to speak for another. And will take away thy posterity. That means all your children and their children's children. That happens in Second Kings, the tenth and eleventh chapter. That's where, or the ninth through the eleventh chapter. That's where God tells tells the king of Israel, Northern Israel, to go and kill the seventy sons of Ahab. So there'll be none left. Why none left? That way, nobody, none of them can claim the 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 throne of Israel. Ahab is the king of northern Israel, and at this time, Jehoshaphat is the king of southern Israel, or Judah. I will bring evil upon thee and upon them thy posterity. Your posterity is your children and your children's children, and so forth. God is saying through Elijah, I'm going to kill everybody in your family, and there'll be nobody left to carry on your name. And we'll cut off from Ahab. Him that pisseth against the wall. You see, that sounds crude. The man urinates against the wall to keep it splashing on himself. The whole idea of this, I'll destroy any male genitalia. I'll have them all killed so no one can raise up children to you have. You're all going to die. And it was Jehu that was sent over in Second Kings that ninth and through the 10th chapter, to go kill all the sons of Ahab. It was fulfilling the promise of God to Ahab that Elijah's telling him right here. Is that evil? They not only killed him, they cut their heads off and took them to Jehu in a basket. All the heads of these people. Anytime God would have, have a, if a king would have it's like Saul, when he was jealous of David, he said, I'll make you captain of my guard, and I'll make I'll put you ahead of an army out here. I want you to go out and get me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. It doesn't mean circumcise them. It means to emasculate him, cut off their genitals, bring them to me in a sack. You say, that sounds crude. Well, how does it sound about God creating evil? Or Israel eating their children. These are things that preachers don't ever talk about. Do they? You ever heard them talk about it? And they won't read that. Uh, I'll I'll cut off uh, from Ahab, him that pisses against the wall. They won't do They won't even read that. That's a very crude thing. But God says, I'll have all of your children. They'll die. I'll have them emasculated. You'll have nobody to rule your kingdom. And him that is shut off and left of Israel. And what's amazing in verse 29, people say, was Ahab a believer? Probably. Look at verse 29. Seest thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days But in his son's days, God says, I'm going to bring evil in the days of the son of Ahab, which would be the following king, Jehoram. Jehoram was a wicked king just like his father, J-H-O-R-A-M. And I will bring, I will bring, I will bring, God says, the evil upon his house. But he has Ahab killed in the next chapter when he goes out to battle. With the with the Syrians, with Ben Hadad, and he and he gets Jehoshaphat to go with him. But Jehoshaphat says, "Before I go, I want to consult a prophet." And Ahab said, "But every time I talk to the prophets, they don't have anything good to say about me. They don't like me. Well, they shouldn't. You're a murderer, Ahab." <coughs> and so, so he goes to Micaiah. Micaiah says, well, if you go into battle, Ahab, Israel is not going to have a king when you come out. And and Ahab looks at Jehoshaphat and said, I told you. Now, Jehoshaphat's good. Ahab is bad. Jehoshaphat has no business running around with Ahab, much less supporting him in a battle. Just, it's amazing to me. So Ahab goes into battle, but he tells Jehoshaphat, let's me and you change clothes before we go into battle. And Jehoshaphat must have been naive. He says, okay, they change clothes so that the, so that the enemy will think Jehoshaphat is Ahab. And they catch Jehoshaphat in the battle and they look at him and say, well, this is not who we want. They let Jehoshaphat go. They look around. They can't find Ahab. And God has a man. God has a man draw a bow at a venture. Venture means an upright bow. Taught man. Has a man draw a bow at a venture. And he fires it. And he strikes Ahab between the harness. And he, and he bleeds. And he says, let's go out of the battle. And they take him up to... Carmel, and he bleeds all over the place, and the dogs are licking his blood in the same spot where he had Naboth killed, and that's what Elijah said would happen to him in the twenty-first chapter of First Kings. Said the dogs will lick your blood in the same place that you had Naboth murdered, and he said God, dogs going to lick the blood of Jezebel the same place. Thirteen years later. She died, she's killed by the king of northern Israel and the dogs lick her blood in the same place. Who arranged, let me ask you this, who arranged for them to die where they died and end up at Mount Carmel in the place where they had Naboth killed? Who arranged for those events to happen? It had to be God, didn't it? All this evil is coming from God. Now, let's continue. What I'm doing, I'm going through this paper one verse at a time. Does God create evil? I don't know why I expected you to read this. It's got, it has so much, it has hundreds of places in it where God does evil in the Old Testament then then you go over here to the 6th chapter of 2nd Kings and this is where these two women their babies die of starvation and Jehoram Ahab's son is the king of northern Israel Jehoram, after Ahab dies in that 22nd chapter of 1 Kings, Jehoram, his son. And if you see, if you see him referred to as Joram, Joram is a contraction for Jehoram. It's the same thing. So if if he's referred to in another verse as Jehoram, that's the same thing as Jehoram. And he's king. These two women, their babies starve. I could read it. I'll just go through it here. And Jehoram practices all the evil of his father Ahab. So the two women go to Jehoram. And one and one says, "We made an agreement to eat my baby yesterday. We ate my baby, and we're supposed to eat her baby today, and she won't give us her baby to eat." You say that sounds awful crude. Well, it's cannibalism, but that's what God said I'll reduce Israel to when you're not obedient to me. So, and Jehoram says. That Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. Elisha took Elijah's place in 2 Kings, the second chapter. That's when Elijah was carried up in a fiery chariot into heaven. Now, don't ask me what that means. I don't think anybody knows, other than a fiery chariot. So Elisha prophesies for 50 years in Israel. He prophesied a lot more than Elijah. And then Jehoram says, That Elijah, I'm going to kill him for bringing this about. It wasn't him, you idiot. It was you and your wicked father. That's the reason for this siege where they're eating their children. Just, I've never heard anybody even talk about this, but the Bible speaks about this cannibalism over and over and over again all through the Old Testament. And then let's read verse 33. Well, let's read 32 and 33. But Elisha sat in his house and the elders sat with him and the king sent a man, King Jehoram, that was the king at this time. Verse 32. Uh, It's chapter 6 of 2 Kings, verse 32. And Elisha sat in the house and the elders sat with him and the king sent a man from before him, but ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, "See ye now how this son of a murderer, Jehoram, was the son of Ahab, and Ahab was a murderer. That's what it's talking about. Has sent to take away mine head." Elijah is saying he wants to cut my head off, and he's him and his father's the reason for this because they worshiped Baal in the grove, and God said, "If you go any other gods, I'll bring this famine upon you." It's like somebody is being blamed for something that's not its not their fault. But they always blame the preacher. You can blame me all you want. Look when the messenger cometh, shut the door, and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? Jehoram's coming after him. And look at verse 33. While he had talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this is Elisha talking, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. You don't think God creates evil? When Israel was disobedient to God, all kinds of evil came upon them. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now let's go to one of the next things about evil. When you go to the twenty first chapter of Second Kings, Manasseh is the king of Israel. Um of Judah. Manasseh is the king of Judah. That's southern Israel. Now northern Israel has been carried away a long before this. Northern Israel has been carried away in seven twenty two BC. So this has to do with Judah. Manasseh is the king. And the Bible says there was no king before him. Manasseh's father was Hezekiah. The Bible says no king in Israel ever followed the Lord in faith like Hezekiah. And his son Manasseh, no king was more evil than Manasseh in all the history of Israel. And when I first read about Manasseh, I thought God why didn't you kill him and put him in hell that ain't the way it works Manasseh was carried away to Babylon and he repented when he was in Babylon Manasseh is a prime picture of how wicked a believer can be because the Bible said he offered sacrifices unto unto Baal he offered enchantments he observed enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards and wrought much wickedness this is in verse 6 of chapter 21 and the lord provoked him to anger he provoked the lord to anger and he offered a, a a tree got us up in the temple of God. He was as wicked as a man could be. And you'd think, God, why don't you just send him to hell? But God saved him. Now, here's what God says. This is the man that caused more evil in Israel than anybody. And here's what God said about him. He's the reason that I'm going to scatter southern Judah. He says it in verse 11. And because Manasseh king of Judah hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did. The Amorites was all of the pagan tribes that were inhabiting Israel when the Israel came back to possess the land. They were all pagans. And they did more evil than all the Amorites. That's what Manasseh did. Which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. And then he says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth it, both his ears shall tingle. That word tingle is a word that means to blush and Your ears turn red because of your embarrassment. And then he says, I will stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria, northern Israel. I'll do to southern Judah what I did to northern Israel when I called the Assyrians to come in and carry them away to Assyria. And the plummet of the house of Ahab, a plummet was a plumb line. I'll measure out to southern Judah what I measured out to northern Israel. I destroyed northern Israel and I'm going to destroy southern Judah for this wicked of Manasseh who was the ruler of southern Judah. His father was Hezekiah. His son was Ammon. And Ammon did the same things that Manasseh did. And his grandson was Josiah the most righteous person that was king of Israel and was more righteous in the law of God than any king ever. Two wicked kings in the middle, a real righteous king, Hezekiah, then two generations of real evil kings and then back to a righteous king again. I can't figure that out. If you can, you can do more than I can do. I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it, turning it upside down. What does he wipe it with? His dish rag, Babylon. That's what he's going to wipe Jerusalem with, Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in. What's amazing, Josiah comes on the scene, the sun. He, never, he had never, he started running when he was eight years old. Eight. All he knew was the wickedness that he'd been taught by his father and his grandfather. That's all he knew. And they were repairing the house of the Lord. Why would it need repairs? Because for two generations, no one was going into the house of the Lord. And it was just deteriorating. If you live in a house and you do not take care of the roof, take care of the siding, take care of the heating, take care of the air, it'll fall apart on you. I know that houses don't keep themselves up and that neither does the house of the Lord. So they're repairing the breaches in the house and chafing or Hilkiah, the high priest, finds the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he begins to read it. And he's unfamiliar with all these things that Israel has done. And Shaphan, the scribe, takes the book to Josiah. And Josiah reads the book and begins to weep. Said, What have we done? They've completely forgotten God by the time of Josiah. Josiah said, we're going to have a revival. And they have a revival in Israel like you've never seen before. Josiah goes out and kills all the priests of Baal in Israel. He tears down all the gods. He beats them to powder, throws them into the brook. Read that 23rd chapter. It'll tell you all about what Josiah does. And then after he has this great revival, there's two verses I want to read to you. After Josiah has this great revival, verse 25 of chapter 23. And like unto Josiah was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. He said, we want to keep the law of Moses neither after him arose there any like him. But look at 26. Pay close attention. Notwithstanding, or however, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because of the provocations of that Manasseh had provoked him with all. God says, Israel is going to be scattered because Manasseh was the cherry on the top of the cake. He was the last thing I am going to put up with, and of course, God carries him away in that twenty-fifth chapter of Second Kings, and in the thirty-sixth chapter of Second Chronicles. Now, let me go to the next thing about God creating. If I've got a whole bunch of things, I want us to go to First Chronicles twenty-one. This is the same story of David numbering Israel, 1st Chronicles 21 let's put it this way, 2nd Samuel 24 equals 1st Chronicles 21 but I keep saying if you're reading Samuel or Kings, Ryan the read the corresponding chapter in chronicles either first chronicles or second chronicles that's like two witnesses then here in verse 15 and verse 14 this is where god says you got a choice of three pursued by your enemies or uh, the sword of your sword, your enemies will pursue you. Famine, you'll have a famine for three years. Or pestilence from God. And that's this is where he said, I'll take the pestilence. So the Lord said pestilence. Verse 14, 21 of first chronicles. They'll say some things in here they don't say in the other chapters. To destroy Jerusalem. This death angel comes from God. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and God repented or turned him of the evil. He turned the death angel from the evil that God was doing and said to the angel that destroyed, That's enough. Stay now, thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Arnon, it it has a different way of spelling it in the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel. It calls it Arana, but it's the same threshing for the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand and stretched out over Jerusalem. The death angel, probably Michael, is going to kill everybody in Jerusalem for David's sin. And David and the elders of Israel that were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it, is it not I that commanded the people be numbered? Did I do that, God? Why are you causing all these people to suffer? He killed seventy thousand in Jerusalem. Even, even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep that the death angel's killing, what have they done? Nothing. You think God won't do evil? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord, my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on these people that you're killing with this death angel, that they should be plagued. I hope that'll help you, son. Let's go to another verse. All of this is on this paper. And I explain them. I'll give you the verse and explain it. Then we're over here in 2 Chronicles 7. He's talking to Israel about how wicked they've been. If my people, verse 14, if my people were called by my name shall humble themselves. Talking about Israel talking about the church and pray and seek my place and turn from their wicked ways then what I hear from heaven will forgive their sin and heal their land their land was messed up then he says down here in 19 of chapter 7 of 2nd Chronicles but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you and shall go and serve these gods that you're going after and worship them. This is all the Christmas system. If God will do this to Israel, so celebrating Christmas under another name called Baal in the grove. Baal was the sun god, sun god, and the grove was the tree goddess. That's the same thing that Constantine brought in the church in in, uh, at the Nicene Council Nicene Council in 325 A.D. The The Bible says Babylon was the mother of all harlots. Idolatry is the word harlot. All harlots. So if this sun and tree worship that they call Christmas brought it into the church and Israel was serving Bell in the grove. It was all the same thing. So Israel celebrated Christmas under an ancient pagan name. And this is what God is doing to them all through the Old Testament. I hope that challenges people to realize Christmas is pagan. John MacArthur says, I know that the Feast of Saturn was uh, seven days from the 17th of of December to the 24th. And I know that it was the birthday of Mithra, December the 25th, the sun god of Rome. And then he'll say, however. There ain't no however to it, John. It's the same thing that God brought upon Israel, all of this evil. I can't believe a man will know these things and keep doing it. Verse 20, If you not keep my commandments, then I will pluck them up by the roots out of my land. I'll use Assyria and Babylon to do that with, which I have given them, and this house which I sanctified for my name, while I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and byword among the nations. And this house, my temple, which is high, shall be an astonishment to everyone that passes by, by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers going after Christmas. bell in the grove, same thing. If God will do all of this, and I'm just beginning with this, what makes you think Christmas is okay? Out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them Therefore, hath God brought all this evil upon Israel? Does that? How much convincing do you need? Go to Second Chronicles eighteen. This is the same story about Jehoshaphat and Ahab, and I'm just going to read one verse here. It's where Jehoshaphat went with Ahab into battle. And when Jehu is king, he he comes up and he's king and all of God's enemies are dead at that point. He rebukes in the 19th chapter. I'll come back and read the previous chapter. In verse... Nineteen And Jehoshaphat, verse 1, the king of Judah returned to his house in peace after that battle where Ahab was killed. And Jehu the son of Hanani the seer went out to meet Jehoshaphat and said to king Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly talking about Ahab and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Jehu was the Savior. And look at verse 22 of chapter 18. Now therefore behold the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets of of Ahab. And the Lord has spoken evil against thee. You think God creates evil? I think He does. How much time do I have, Mike? What? Seven. I can't hear him. Seven. I don't have time enough to get through these. I'm going to resume these. I can't get through this paper in one message. It's I've got through probably twenty-five percent of it. That's just about all. If I've gotten through that much, Second Chronicles thirty-four, twenty-four, and twenty-eight. Talking about Israel. Verse 24. Thus saith the Lord, I will bring evil. How many times does he say that over and over and over again? You think God creates evil? He puts it in the minds of men to attack Israel. He always did that behold I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof even all the curses that are written in the book that you find in Deuteronomy 28 starting in verse 15 which they have read before king of Judah goodness sakes I'm just barely getting started with this oh me Now, Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. Nehemiah has finished building the city of Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar had leveled. He got the command from Artaxerxes, and this was around 444 B.C. Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia, he loved Nehemiah. Nehemiah was his cupbearer. A cupbearer was the closest man to the king. He would bring the cup to the king. And sometimes he was called a butler. But a butler was a cupbearer. He'd bring the cup to the king. And he'd say, if the king was suspicious of somebody trying to kill him, he would tell the cupbearer, you drink of it first. And if you don't fall dead, then I'll drink of it. And you, it was dangerous to be a cupbearer. Because you could die if the king had enemies. Well, Nehemiah is just getting put out with the people. He's, He's built the city. The gates are open. And all the Jews are coming into the gate of the city, bringing their wares to sell them on the Sabbath day. Nehemiah is living... He's he's one of the last prophets in Israel. This is at the end of Israel's Old Testament history. Do I have time to read this? Four? Minutes. Four. Yeah. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, after? The, verse, the last chapter, verse 13, verse 17, they were standing out by the gate And the wine presses on the Sabbath day wanted to sell their wares on the Sabbath. Then contended I with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? Then look at verse 18. Did not your fathers thus? Didn't they do the same thing? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us? He said this evil came upon us. We've been carried away. We're captive over to here in Babylon. And I was sent back to rebuild the city by Artaxerxes. I've got it built. He just finishes up a couple of chapters before. And you're out here breaking the laws of God again. What is wrong with you, Israel? Let me put it this way. What is wrong with you, America? You preachers out there, you act like you've never read the Old Testament. You think God's judgments are different? we got a crazy president. We had a crazy one before that. And we've had crazy ones forever. None of them talked about a daily cross or debt to self or self-denial. You don't ever hear a president talking about the world has to hate you. No, you don't ever get elected president if the world hates you, do you? And that includes Donald Trump and the Bushes and the Clintons and the Reagans and all of them. None of them are godly. Ronald Reagan claimed to be a Christian. Do I believe that? No. We had a fellow coming here one time. He said he was a guard in the White House. When he got in one of the limousines to to carry Reagan and and Colin Powell somewhere, they'd be cussing in the back seat, and saying things they shouldn't say. They put on a show that they're a, that they're a, that is just a show as what It is. People get used to cuss words in the White House. Nixon cussed a blue streak, but they all did. Kennedy was a womanizer, he had women on every hand. Trust in him? I keep telling you, uh, George Washington was a crook. He stole 10,000 acres of Indian land because he could. Under that doctrine of discovery law that was on our books and it still is, said the American Indian wasn't a human and they didn't have souls. That was said about the black man during slavery. Well, they don't have souls, so we can do with them as we want to. They're just animals. Our government is not a good government. Never has been. You can't... Let me say this to the black man. Don't look up to the white man and say, I need to be up there where he is. What you're doing is standing on your head, and you're looking down in the gutter, and you think it's up, and it's not. It's down. That's where the white man is. He's in the gutter. You can't get up on the top of the world and please God. I'd rather talk to a black man than I had a white deacon. You know why? Jesus said, I came to preach. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for I came to preach the gospel to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the bruised. I don't mean this to patronize anybody, but it's easier to talk to a man that's been bruised and crushed and the black race has been, and so is the the American Indian. You can talk to them. You can't talk to a white Baptist deacon. They're crazy. They think they're special, and they're not. Am I out of time? I'm out. I'll come back here. I want to go through all these verses in the Old Testament. Said that God brings evil; He creates evil. If He, if they do something evil to Israel, God has to put it in their mind to do it. He said, "I caused them to do all this." Homie, let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth. God, I pray somehow you'll open the doors in the world for this ministry. Lord, I'll tell the truth, regardless of the cost. I'm so tired of the preachers. Lord, they all lie. They sincerely lie, but it's still a lie. I pray that you'll fight our battles for us and lead us in areas where this message will expand and go throughout the world. We'll praise you for everything. Strengthen the flock. Help them to understand the truth. I'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how I can ever get through this. This is going to be a long road.